So this morning's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 32. So starting in verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Simon. Verse 23 and verse 24 remind us of what happens in corporate worship, reminds us of what the Holy Spirit does in us, and especially on Sunday mornings, is doing in us. Doing a series on the vision of the church, not because uh, I think all of you are dying for us to have the perfect language for that. I'm just not ever going to work that way, and I think most of you are cool with that. But we are a particular church in a particular time with a role. And that role is similar to every other true church of Jesus Christ in that we are to worship God and love one another. And then there are specific opportunities for us both because of who we are, meaning the individuals that attend the church and where we are, our locality. And also it's important because this is a description of the path of a disciple of Christ. So how do we grow up as a follower of Jesus? How do we mature? How does our sanctification um, work? Well, it begins with corporate worship which verses 23 and 24 remind us of, remind us of what we're doing and what's happening on Sunday morning. It happens other days as well, but Sundays are important. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday, and we sing about it. We pray in light of it. We study the scriptures, longing to be equipped. Elsewhere in Ephesians, Paul describes the ministry of the word as equipping the saints for the work of ministry. All of you, if you're a follower of Christ, have work to do. It overlaps with your vocation, but it's bigger than that. And the Word equips you for that. Verse 23 and 24, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. If that's true and truly happening and in a particular and specific way on Sunday morning, then show up and get involved. We need your mind. We need your hands. We need your finances, financial generosity. We need your voices. 
if you're gifted up here, if you're a little more like me, out there, but all of us are part of the worship team. And that was the sermon last week, and when um, I preached it, some people started responding from the audience, which is fine some of the time, and last week it was fine. Um, But they started mentioning ministries that weren't on Sunday morning, and I'm talking about those today, but I was not talking about those last week. The the picture last week is what happens from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., and from 10.30 to 11.45 every Sunday, I hope that you get involved with an in. And I'll talk much more specifically about what's your calling, um, the fifth sermon. So if these things that Paul writes about in chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 are true, and they're happening, and I hope that you get involved with them happening here. You're not too old. Our worship leader this morning at 9 was, is 90. So you're not too old. You're not too young. The youth ministry was the first ministry that started responding to me when I was labeling ministries. And we don't do youth ministry from 1030 to 1145 because they are the church. They're not excluded from it. I would love to have youth in all of those components. You're not unskilled. All of you have skills that we need to flourish as a church. And I love that Paul says, and to put on the new self. I love that he says that even, as it, that you, I'm sure you've noticed in the Bible, there's a changing of verb tense all the time, and it's to remind us of what God does and what we do. So faith is something that's received, as the change in the verb tense in 23, but we get to put it on, right? We have an opportunity to integrate our faith. We have an opportunity to connect our mind and our emotions and our actual actions and our words with the promises and the ways of Christ. So renewed in the spirit of our minds, we put on that new self that's given to us by God freely at great cost to him, but freely to us, and then we put it on. My wife gave me a red and blue shirt for Christmas, and I thought it was a good-looking shirt. It's in the box. And then when I put it on, I found out it's very, very soft and warm. Similarly, like the the gift is from Christ. We receive it by faith, but then we have activities that we participate in that help us grow up and become that new self ever increasingly. Regardless of how good-looking and warm and soft the shirt of faith is, you will not enjoy it without putting it on. Right? Some of you think it's a little odd or weird that my son and I are going to dress alike. I didn't get to do that in my 20s with my daughters. Now I get to do it in my 40s with my son. When we show up in worship and also in community, which is what this particular sermon is about, friendship, spiritual community, spiritual friendship, we are putting on that new self. And then we get to speak truth to one another. Therefore, in verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each one, and he's talking about receiving the gospel and therefore putting away the falsehood of living a pagan life. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This is perhaps one of the most profound statements of the church as spiritual family that I know of in the scriptures. This is both an ignored text and an abused text. 
because sometimes truth speak can be aggressive, ill-timed, bad motives, and yet Paul has the full expectation that we are actually able to be honest with one another about life as we experience it, God, friendship. I hope that you have and are continuing to develop spiritual friendship here. I had the honor of presiding over two funerals this week and thinking about this text and then standing in those places, not members of the church. Um, I hope there's someone at this church that if you were sitting at a funeral and they came and sat down next to you, it would encourage you. You know what I mean? A person that actually knows you and you know them, you've probably gotten, you've probably conflicted a few times, so you actually know there's trust there. You've been able to encourage one another in ways you've wrestled through some things together, either life or scriptures or seasons. And that's an indirect way of getting at speaking the truth to one another because that's not a description of speaking the truth to one another, but that's what we receive when we're willing and able to wisely and kindly do and learn to do friendship with one another. Which, is, which begs the question, when? And this is where last week I talked about how in March we're going to do a ministry fair where you can get, you can, where it will be as obvious as we can make it how to get involved on Sunday morning and also how to be involved with people in this church in a smaller group than this, not on Sunday. Because the passing of the peace, as important as it is, is not long enough for you to develop and cultivate spiritual friendship with some of the humans in this room. We have men's ministry events, we have women's ministry events, youth, small groups, that's where those fit in, which is actually the point of youth ministry, parents. It's not Will's job to disciple your children, it's yours. But he can facilitate friendship with both adults and other children, and that's how important that is, that we have a full-time person dedicated to that. One of the things that I've noticed about the barn, and many of you know this really well, is a lot of us receive community through serving together. That's not enough. It can be if the friendships, if you're intentional with the friendships growing outside of serving together, but you can't make coffee with someone for years and not have coffee with them before or after and have the friendship develop into the kind that Paul's talking about in verses 25 and then 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. I could have just said 25 through 32, but I had to think through it. It's good that we become friends through serving with one another. It is not enough. I think we know that somewhat instinctively. We are members one of another. Paul's description of those that were committed to worshiping God together, probably about 30 or 40 of them in the city of Ephesus. Renewed in the spirit of our minds, for we are members one of another, and we do this with wisdom. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let me just give you a tip about utilizing this scripture. If your friend or spouse 
or parent or child is angry, don't quote this. Thank you, Gwen, for laughing. These two clauses are so interesting to me because they don't fit together very nicely. They require wisdom. And wisdom, I think our culture uh, thinks of wisdom somewhat philosophically, which is fine. But the Bible, when it's giving wisdom, expects you to understand that a proverb, as an example, is not always perfectly applicable to every situation. You know what I mean? So do not let the sun go down in your anger. Paul's speaking sermonically, not scientifically. So, if you're a married person, there, are be, there will be times that you will need to let the sun go down on your anger because you're going to need to sort through it a little bit. You're going to need to release some of it because your anger is very rarely pure. You're probably going to pray about it. You might reach out to a friend and ask them to help you, help you sort it out. Be angry and do not sin. What a lovely uh, little phrase. How in the world do we do that? How do we get to that? And give no opportunity to the devil because we know that when we stuff our stuff, it gives all sorts of opportunity for problems. This is how resentment is created and build and, and builds is when we stuff our stuff. And that's on one side. And then on the other side would be being angry and sinning, right? Choosing to express our anger in a way that's not kind or loving or wise. I was listening to a podcast this week, um, one of my favorite podcasts lately. It's called Everything Happens. And uh, the writer, who's a theology professor at Duke, was speaking with a psychotherapist, and the psychotherapist said, emotions are data. And I loved that, um, because I'm an emotional person, and sometimes they can feel overwhelming to me. Some of you are not very emotional people, and you're like, having an emotional pastor is challenging. And you're right. Both of us can grow a little bit in understanding that emotions are data. And then we ask the Lord, and we ask our friends indirectly to help us grow up in speaking truth to one another and all the rest of the things Paul's going to talk about. Letting go of doing that poorly, malice, wrath, doing it well, which is tenderhearted, forgiving, as we are forgiven. But man, look at verse 27 and let it sink in a little bit. And give no opportunity to the devil. We long for wisdom. To talk with our friends and family members about what's going on in us. To relate to and with them about these things. And when we don't, this broken though noble and beautiful world, your flesh and the enemy will turn that into some very unsavory things within you. Speaking vaguely, partly because Paul's speaking vaguely, we have got to learn to speak the truth in love, kindly, 
without waiting too long. Verse 28, I think, is about participating in the life of the church. I think it's a contrast to verses 17 through 20 from the same chapter and saying, if you have received faith, then participate uh, with your finances and with your hands and with your mind in the life of the body. The reason I say I think is in my studies this week, I do not feel fully confident that that's all that Paul's getting at with verse 28. But I believe it's an encouragement to participate generally, generously in the life of the church and to build one another up. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. One of the roles that you have in this spiritual community is to encourage one another. And that may seem like a small thing, but think about a week where you're just totally worn out. You just barely even wanted to go to church. And every step was, is this how I want to spend the next two hours? And then a friend encouraged you about who you are in Christ, who you have been to them as a friend. It is not a small thing to learn to do spiritual friendship and to improve at it. I had a friend tell me a couple of years ago, I'm terrible at taking compliments. And that was actually an encouragement because it gives me an opportunity to grow. And it encouraged me so much, I've been thinking about it, I think, for three years. Kind of an interesting sort of backwards compliment. One of your roles, if this is your church, is to learn to encourage one another, to build one another up. When you're looking at verses 26 and 27 and 28 and 29, remember that um, these things, especially by themselves, are not always the perfect way to interact with the people in your life. They're like a play in sports, right? No one play has ever worked every time. In football, basketball, I don't know as well with football that's soccer, but in basketball, there is no play that works every time. In football, there is no play that works every time. We ask to grow up in wisdom. Wisdom, biblically, is skill in being a Christian. Mostly relationally. Learning when and how, tone and words. We ask God to grow us up in it. Renewed in the spirit of our minds, we speak truth to one another with wisdom and with kindness. Verse 30 is a terrific example of a, of a verse that we can take out of context and we can turn it into a more theological instead of a more sermonic, encouraging kind of a verse. Paul means this to encourage you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? When we miss opportunities for love. What's love? It's defined by description in 1 Corinthians 13. We're not going to always do it, but there are times that we know how to do it and we don't. And that grieves the Holy Spirit. There are times that there is harm that we could avoid, like the things Paul's listing here in verse 31. We've let bitterness just simmer in us. And one of the net effects of bitterness simmering in us is we're not going to love the people that God put into our life as well. 
I think verse 31 is a good list of stuff that we don't actually want in us. Well, let that encourage you, friends. The Holy Spirit indwells you, which means those things are being put out of you. You get to participate by engaging the gospel with your mind and with your emotions. Those things are leaving you because the Spirit of God is within you and it is good. Be kind to one another when you're talking with friends at church. This is not something I think you don't do. But I'm happy to encourage you in the way that Paul writes this. Be kind to one another. Probably means listen. Probably means take a few minutes, sometimes when you don't have them. I don't know how we can be kind to one another if we don't know one another and aren't known by one another. And be tender-hearted. Which I think means something along the lines of this is a little bit overused phrase, but holding space for them and their story. Whether it's over coffee or talking in the welcome room or chatting before or during or after Bible study or men's or women's group or youth, giving space for their story. And then forgiving, which simply means desiring their good. There's more to relationships than that, but there isn't less, Christianly, than desiring the good of one another. And all of this is empowered by the gospel. Why would we act this way? Because God has forgiven us because of the work of Jesus Christ. Which is why spiritual friendship is so important. It's the only kind of friendship that's fully empowered by the gospel. Doesn't mean other friendships don't matter. Doesn't mean your family aren't your first neighbors. But it does mean that friendships here are important, both to the flourishing of the church and the glorifying of God, but also to our growth. Would you pray with me? Father, more important than my explanation of this is all of us asking you to grow us up. Would you grow us up in kindness? Would you grow us up in tenderheartedness? Would you grow us up in our willingness and ability to speedily forgive one another because you have forgiven us? Would you grow us up in telling the truth to one another? For those of us that can do so quickly, would you help us gain hearts of wisdom? For those of us that are nervous to tell the truth to one another, would you empower and strengthen us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that this church be a place that glorifies you through worship and also through friendship. Amen.